Hey, this is Justin from Justin Answer, and we are here as cultural creatives seeking to fulfill our human potential. That's the whole tagline. That's the whole mission. That's the whole purpose. Uh, and on that note, I have a author of renown here named Michael F. Shine. Now, he wrote a book uh, called The Hype Handbook. Now, before anybody gets overexcited and says, what is that all about hype? What are you talking about? Because, uh, you know, cultural creatives, we're all about real. We're all about having, you know, real things. There is uh, a very important reason for it, because um, there is, of course, the people out there who use these techniques for evil, let's just say. But why not be able to leverage the same techniques for a good purpose? Let's say for a a charity, a good cause that you're running. Like, I don't know, cats protection is near and dear to my heart because I love cats, as you know. So why not be able to leverage those techniques for good? There's a couple more reasons, though, why he's here today. And I'm going to ask him about this and hopefully uh, he'll be able to know. And that is that if you know these techniques let's say you're not into business at all you're just you know you're just chilling at home you should still read the book because if you know these things then it's like a protective coating around you then all of a sudden you can spot it when it's being done to you in the media or by politicians or by propagandists or whoever it is and that doesn't mean that you're immune to it. It doesn't mean that you ignore it or you, you you don't like music anymore. But what it means is you can now make a choice. You can say, I still like that. It's still awesome. I've certainly done that. Or you can say, hmm, they're using those techniques and they're a bit slimy. So you can stay away from them. So welcome to the show, Michael. I don't know if you thought of that ancillary benefit of a protective coding by learning these methods, but Let's talk about that and much more. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, not only did I, I think of the benefit, um, one of the reasons I wrote the book was because this thing that I'm calling hype, which we'll discuss, really just has a lot to do with how human beings and groups respond to stimuli. And for a variety of reasons, a lot of the scummiest people are better at it. And it just really bugged me that I was seeing all of these people hawking garbage and, and convincing people to go around with it while all of the people creating great creative work, great causes, great businesses struggled with it so much. So I really wanted to make the case that not only can you protect yourself against the bad guys, but you can sort of retool those strategies in a very ethical way. And I, I, I honestly, that was my moral imperative for writing the book. That became very, very important to me, especially with the latest sort of things we've been seeing going on in the news and, and whatnot. And and that's the reason I was drawn to your book and that I read it and that I reached out to you. You, uh, you know, for disclosure, you did not come to me through an agent, through you didn't reach, you didn't come to me through any of those channels uh, like some, some people do. Although, as most people will realize, my podcast is not this stressed out weekly or bi-weekly thing because I don't want to have to fill these slots with just anybody and just splatter someone on there because he's willing to come on and blather on on the podcast. I really want to find people who have significance, who have a high impact, who I believe in, which is why I wanted to at least read most of your book. I haven't finished it. I apologize. But read most of it before having you on here. 
uh, because it's so important to me. And there's, but there's another reason I wanted you on here, and it's something we can talk about a little bit, and that is that there is uh, someone out there. I think he calls himself a contrepreneur, and it, or he started this thing where he's basically doing an expose of the techniques of oh, what yeah. he calls the contrepreneurs. Now, yeah. I happen to know the man who designed and originated the format that this guy is saying, if you see people using this format, it means they're a con artist. Now, there's a fallacy in this young man's life. And I, I admire the fact that Mr. Contrepreneur is trying to expose people who are taking advantage of people and ripping them off. But there's a fallacy in his logic. And that is that just because someone is using those techniques, does it mean that they are a con artist? Maybe all con artists use that technique, but just because the technique is in use, does it mean there's a con going on? I should also say, I mean, this is um, gonna be controversial, but there's a fine line between a con artist and an entrepreneur. And what I mean by that is, you know, we hear these stories that we lionize, like there's this famous story about Bill Gates selling DOS for a hundred grand or something. And then saying, okay, now we got to go design an operating system, you know? So he basically conned somebody. I heard that. But because he became Bill Gates and because he had the goods to back it up, he, um, we, we, we actually like lionized that story. So I think I'm not saying you should lie at all. But what I am saying is, it's just funny to think about the fact, who is it that we consider entrepreneurs? And it's usually the people who don't have the stuff at the end to back it up. It, yeah, it, they they I mean, treat it like like a Ponzi scheme where they're selling, 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 selling. And then when you pull the curtain back, it's, it's you know, the Wizard of Oz is just an old man. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then there's also showmanship involved in it. I mean, right. look, otherwise Elon Musk wouldn't have gone on Saturday Night Live, would he? He was pretty good too. It was, yeah. he was pretty good. But if there was no showmanship necessary in entrepreneurship, he wouldn't have bothered wasting his time on that show. But the, the, the real point here is, is that there are techniques and then there are how you use those techniques. And the technique in and of itself is not evil or it, it cannot be evil. It is neither good nor bad. It's the use that you put to it. So just because somebody uses this for, a format, for example, the entrepreneur die says, oh, he must be trying to put a con over on you, which is not true because again, I know the man who originated that format for presentations and he's the furthest thing from a con artist in the world. He's a very genuine, absolutely high impact. You know, what you pay is what you get. In fact, he delivers a lot more. So he, I, I couldn't endorse him enough. He's fantastic, the man I learned it from. And I will use that. And in fact, guess what? I used it in a context uh, to sell the uh, autism strategy for the city council over here. So I just, I picked that format and I borrowed it across industries from the whole sales and marketing and this and, and events to let's try and sell this strategy for a three-year strategy. It's already finished now, but this three-year strategy to help, you know, some, some disadvantaged people in our local community. And it worked brilliantly. So it's the use that you put it tonight. Would I have been successful without that strategic framework? Maybe, maybe not. And that's what I think is really important um, to learn, but also to use, obviously ethically is my preference. So let me let me ask you a question now about you. So so what's been your biggest challenge in business and how did you overcome it? I, I, I mean, there are so many, but I, I think the biggest challenge was that I um, really never thought of myself as a business person. I, I mean, I think maybe that's why I was attracted to 
ideas like this. We get in our own heads so much. So, I mean, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I always was a very, or at least saw myself as kind of an artsy type kid. Like I wanted to write novels. And um, after that, I was really interested in, in, you know, like music, but like rock and roll and punk rock and wanted to play in bands. And when I thought about the idea of being in business or going into business, that just really didn't appeal to me. So eventually just to get a job, just to make a living, I, I got a corporate job and I was there for a long time and I resented it the whole time. But what held me back was this idea that like, okay, I could write fiction every morning, you know, and make it, make it quote unquote that way. But if not, I have to just sort of hate my life in this corporate job. And when I started to like loosen the boundaries in my mind and say, you know, there are these words we put on things, business and this and that and the other, but really it's just a series of side doors. I mean, if I can figure out ways to use my writing and use my creativity and, and combine that with some of the tools of business, why is that a bad thing? And I did that and, uh, you know, eventually started a business and ultimately it came full circle and led to me writing a book, which is what I always wanted to do. So, but. I, I think I was always in my own head. I think I was very black and white in my thinking. It was either like be this artist, you know, or or or, or languish away in the corporate world. And and I think I got in my own way for a long time. Yeah, I think a lot of people a lot of people do. I think I think I've been there myself. So what what would you say then is the accomplishment that you're most proud of in business so far? I'm just proud of of going out on my own you know I mean I I worked at that corporate job for three years I learned a lot you know I had this band in New York and, and we did pretty well in, in every other way besides making money I mean we sold out venues we did this but I couldn't make a living at it and we broke up and I got this job and I started to do well there because I'm kind of a, a hard-working guy and for three years I really learned it turned me into an adult but I was there eight years and it was completely out of fear and I remember people used to say to me just send out one resume you hate your job so much and I couldn't bring myself to do it I had this weird mental block I thought I'd end up in a cardboard box I don't know so when I eventually went on my own and became a freelance copywriter and almost went broke in the process but made it happen and there have been all these other accomplishments since that have been a big big deal in terms of what I would have in the past thought was the biggest deal like publishing this book was a huge deal for me I, I spoke to a huge audience in China all of these bigger things but I think when I think about that initial sort of breaking through the wall and actually having the courage to go on my own the fact that I'm still doing that 10 years later I guess I'm I'm, I'm really really proud of that because it almost didn't happen yeah and that's that's uh you should be and and most of us are proud of the things that you know almost didn't happen but we made it it's it's yeah. it's almost like that little bit of a hero's journey type of thing the book we're yeah. talking about by the way is that it's called the hype handbook by michael f shine and i highly endorse and recommend it otherwise he wouldn't be here talking about it <laughs> so uh so so read it and as as we go along you'll you'll probably get the flavor for why uh so how did having a core strategy for you play into achieving that accomplishment of because because was was it pure accident was it like Forrest Gump oh, I'll start a business it almost didn't or, or did you have a core strategy to launch yourself and, and make that happen so there's this really great book called the click moment by a guy named Franz Johansson and he talks about how all of these so-called core strategies if people have a core strategy when they start, they almost inevitably fail. And the people who succeed 
they make up their core strategy. Like they go backwards. They talk about how they got there as if it was planned all along and it almost never is. And the reason for that, and he gets into like, almost like quantum physics is that, that this <laughs> chaos theory is that everything's random, you know, meaning you, there are a million unintended consequences to everything you do and you can't predict the future. So my original, I started with a core strategy. My strategy was I was in the BPO industry and my in my corporate life, which is business process outsourcing, which is a fancy way of saying we ran call centers like customer service centers. <laughs> and so I knew when I was in that job, that the, the writers who understood that industry and who understood telecom, we always had trouble getting them. So I always did the writing, you know? So I had this brilliant idea that I thought was just a, a no brainer, a quote unquote, like how could this fail? I could become like the world's first BPO and telecom copywriter because there was this huge need for that, right? It failed miserably, right? It bombed, but it wasn't a failure because I put myself out there as a tech writer, uh, not a tech writer, actually, a, a like a, a marketing writer who dealt with technology. And even though I didn't become known as that sort of BPO copywriter, I became known as a technology writer. And then from there, that got me an, a, a column at Inc. And from the Inc. column, I started writing about hype. And then people started to like my marketing. So, you know, I think that, um, this idea that we're just blundering around into things, I think it's more important to have a strategy. You got to start somewhere or else you're going to flounder all over. So you should try to fool yourself that you have this strategy that's going to work. Otherwise, you'll never get started. But in reality, what almost always happens is that you see unintended consequences and the people who are successful pick up on them and accelerate on them. Um, and that's most certainly what happens to me. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a, there's a quote. I, I don't remember who said it, so I can't attribute it, but I, I remember hearing it many times about uh, something to the effect that plans change, but decisions don't. So the decision to, you know, become a successful writer, that doesn't change, but what changes is the plans. They go all over the place. I heard that said a different way too. So Neil Gaiman, the uh, the fantasy writer. Yes, I've, I've, I'm considering taking the, his master class, which. Uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, I took it. It was fun. It was good. Was it good? All yeah, right. I mean, you know, sort of. I mean, those master classes are all good, but they're all very broad. It's almost more like seeing Neil Gaiman talk about writing. You know what I mean? It like, is, yeah. And and I and I, I I looked at Dustin Hoffman's on acting, and and I have to confess that um, they had pulled it, so it's no longer available. So I had to get it another way and so I, I got it another way enough said and I watched it and I'm and at the end I'm like boy am I glad I didn't pay for this because they're, they're all because like it that. was exactly that yeah. it was just like a it, it might as well have been you know Barbara Walters interviewing yeah, Dustin Hoffman for four, for four hours because but, uh in fact yeah. some of the I don't think he was he's really that good of an acting coach or teacher he is of course one good of the actor. world's greatest actors yeah. ever right. but as a teacher I was like interesting fascinating for me to watch especially considering uh, you know I, I made it I was just always fascinated to do it um and uh but I can't possibly do there's so many of these master no. class things but the one I was really considering is the is the Neil Gaiman one only just to strengthen my writing yeah. game pun intended well, well, all that to say, I mean, he made a comment. I forget if it was in the master class or, or somewhere else, but he basically said he always knew he wanted to tell stories. And there was this mountain that was being a profession that, that he made his living writing stories. 
and he would judge every activity by whether it got him closer or farther to that mountain. So if right. someone offered him, I don't know, the lowest level job reading scripts, he might take that because he would get to make some money analyzing story structures. But if someone offered him a higher paying job writing technical copy, he would turn that down because it would take him farther away. So he had this broad end objective, but he 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 let himself wind as long as he was getting closer to the mountaintop. And I thought that I think that I think about that a lot. I think that's a really good way to to think about goals I so agree. that you don't get too chaotic think, or too rigid, you know. I I've, I've heard it said like that in a very similar way actually. And in fact, Oh, never mind. I just realized I know where Neil Gaiman got that. Oh, really? Yeah, I know where he got that from. Um, uh, and I just remembered where he got that from. There was a, <laughs> I don't know if this is too controversial to talk about here, but uh, there, was a, there was a brief period of time where Neil Gaiman was involved with, and then, and then I think he ended his involved with, I'm not sure, but is involved with Scientology. Oh, I, I, yeah, I knew that. I didn't know, is that where that comes from? And that comes from that. That comes from that because there's a concept that I like, uh, which is the concept of the ideal scene as part of a, of, of a management structure, which is exactly what, what he just explained there, which is, you, is, it, is it getting you closer or further away to that the way it's phrased uh, there is ideal scene. So uh, cool. I, I, I'm one of these, uh, I've been accused of being pedantic. So I'm one of these people that I, when I remember, I'm like, I remember where he got <laughs> that from. So uh, so as great as Neil Gaiman that's, that's is, really um, uh, you know, he th that that piece of work was not original, but it is definitely some really good advice. And I, I think, think Scientology as a, people wouldn't be attracted to, I think as a, as a motivational, you know, philosophy and, and 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 a set of you know some of the positive thinking self-help stuff in there is really good it's what's controversial is what they how they treat their people as you know money spigots you know what i mean like how they, they I, I they'll, they'll, do, they'll ring every dollar because yeah do they really I, it's again it's a lot of it is how much of that is is you yeah. know spun in the media and how it's much hard of to that know i'm not an insider i don't i, I don't really know without i really don't the I way it know. really works, I think it's tough to judge like that. So I try to refrain from passing judgment because do we really know? Because I, I, uh, my, I pass judgment actually. I mean, I take from anything I can find, and that's kind yeah, of back too. to this book. Like if 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 I found a propaganda artist, if I found something from Martin Luther King, if it was the same organizing principle, I, I would I would learn from it. Mm. I think where where it gets in trouble for, for all of these philosophies. From the Ayn Rand stuff to the to the to some of the new woke movement to evangelical Christianity to Hasidic Judaism is when you have to follow A B C D E F G all the way through Z, and if you don't, you're a heretic. You know what I mean? Some you can't be like Scientology if someone is taking you away from the beliefs they're a suppressive person and you have to cut them out of their life that's where it starts to get hairy so I, that's why I, i'm i i tend not to be an ist 
you know, Scientologist. Sure, sure. You know, right. Not to associate with that. But uh, what I mean is, is even even that, which I've heard, of course, in the media, I, I know people who will say, well, that's not that's not true. I mean, I think, in fact, a couple famous uh, marketers online like Grant yeah. Cardone and stuff will say that's not that's not true. That's not a pop. maybe maybe some people used that or did that but that's not forced upon you and it's not something that we right. we require he says i i have friends and in fact in his last uh 10x growth conference he interviewed some people you you wouldn't have thought really meshed with that philosophy and yeah, yet so he's right. totally open to it so again i'm 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 with a grain of salt on that you I gotta heard take, about grains that. Of, take grains of salt with everything you with know everything, i mean I, yeah. I, I think i think you just gotta yeah i agree so anyway exactly so so about the um so now that we're on the topic of, of the presentation of people presenting themselves and all that so so would you share with us what are what are three to five key skills moves or techniques that protect against failure or, or from the book basically maybe three three things that we might learn in there that we could actually take away today yeah so it's worth giving a little bit of background about what what this book really is so it's called the hype handbook and the subtitle i'm going to read because it's almost more descriptive than the book but it's so long i can't even remember it but it's <laughs> kind of on purpose it's like a borat style title but it's um yeah 12 indispensable success secrets from the world's greatest propagandists self-promoters cult leaders mischief makers and boundary breakers and i bring that up not to plug my book although that is certainly part of it mm. but i bring that up because what i did in figuring this out is I was pretty good at this this thing called hype. And I would always look at unconventional marketers. We already touched on that, right? Like instead of looking at the latest online marketing course, I would say, okay, well, how is it that everyone, you know, the Grateful Dead, Tony Robbins and Andy Warhol all get people frothing at the mouth, you know, crowds of thousands. What is it that they're doing, right? And I would study that. And so when I, when I decided to write the book, I said, you know what, I'm gonna read all of these books on everyone from propagandists to cult leaders to really strong business people to people who led causes and i want to find out are there things that unify them all because if, if these people are just naturally good at, and when i say hype all that means is any set of activities that gets a large number of, of people emotional so that you can move them to take a certain action right so is it just that certain people are naturally good at that if so there's no strategy you just got to figure it out you just got to develop the skills or, or be born with it or be born with it even better i mean even 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 more scary but possible right or it could just be that you you know learn you know you just sort of get better trial and error this and that right or are there deep psychological principles that repeat over and over again are there things that human beings because of the fact that our brains are not set up to respond accurately they're set up to help us survive and also because we're the most social animal in the history of the earth beyond ants beyond anything you know and, and we can talk about why that is are there things that we respond to time and in it turned out there really were there, there are just like 12 um ways to get people to respond the way you want them to that are based in how we react so all that being said there are a few that I discussed that are sort of the cornerstone concepts. So, so one is human beings are much more easily attracted to and energized by being against something than they are being for something. And, and obviously that's the tendency that's beyond, behind our racism and sexism and bigotry and nationalism and 
certainly not encouraging that, but the reality is that's the way we are. So I remember working in the Brooklyn writers space, which is this um, community for, uh, as you would think, serious Brooklyn writers. And, and everyone in there is a little bit, you know, quite liberal, you know, not a lot of makeup, not a lot of um, flaunting of material goods. You know, they work at the food co-op in Park Slope, you know, so they're, they're obviously not very commercially minded people. But do you know how many PCs were in that place? PCs as in computers? Computers to write on. Of all the people in there, zero. Oh, really? Everyone I, I was had gonna an say app. 12? Zero. Zero. Because these non-brand oriented people are so against being a corporate drone and being, you know, that sort of thing that they'll buy an Apple as, as their signature flag to show that they're not commercial. Oh, I see. Yeah, I have you an know? Apple. Yeah, we, so do I. But my point is, they aren't <laughs> buying that Apple because they love Apple. They're buying Apple because it says something about what they're not. Oh, right. It says that they're not the person who fills out Excel spreadsheets. You know what I mean? Mm. They're an Apple owner. They're an artist. They're not a you know someone who works on a computer all day. Meanwhile, Apple was at one point the high, most valuable company in the world. They're as corporate as you can possibly get. So they've done a great job. So think about what they did. They had those commercials in when Steve Jobs first came back in like '97 or whatever. It was Justin Long with like the hit. Apple Mac guy and John Hodgman was like the fat, you know, guy with the mustache with the white button down shirt with the stains on it. He was the corporate world, the PC. You don't want to be that guy. You know, you don't want to be that. No one thinks of themselves as the boring corporate guy. You want to be the hip artsy guy, right? So people are very attracted to being against. So it's important to pick a fight. You don't have to pick a fight with a person. I do that, but but that can sometimes bleed into being a troll. Pick a fight with an idea, take a bold stand, and you'll be amazed how, how people bond around you. Um, another one is something I call, you know, um, creating a secret society. So what most hype artists, and by extension, the best promoters and marketers do, is they make it seem like all of their success is happening on a grassroots level. So they make it seem like they're just getting millions of Twitter followers and Instagram followers and whatever. And the scary thing about that is that everyone who admires them tries to emulate them. So they spend all this time tweeting and Instagramming all day and don't understand why they're not growing. Or, or back when, when I was um, playing in bands, they would just put up flyers all day and sort of wonder why they weren't getting famous, right? What, what the best hype artists and marketers do is they make it seem like that's all that's going on and they do some of it. But what they're really doing is they're nurturing this group of really close friendships with influential people behind the scenes and they call on favors. So it's a lot easier to, you know, say to someone who has a 50,000 person following, hey man, you know, we've been friends for a long time. Could you send word out, you know, about my product to this group and do that five times in the two month period. Um, and there are ways to do that too. There are ways to start relationships like um, people, especially successful people like to be known for what most people don't recognize them for. So like, for example, if there's a captain of industry who paints on the weekend and very few people know that they paint on the weekend, if you praise their painting on Twitter or ask to see their paintings on Twitter, 
they will open up a friendship with you in a way that talking about their billions will never do because then they'll just think mm. that people that you want something from them. well it's like prince charles he's a avid painter and gardener and he would much rather talk about that than any you know gossip or anything else so talk to him about that and he will invite the most common commoner into his drawing room to have a conversation with him that he would never do if you're talking about what's on the docket for parliament or whatever you know well, no, he doesn't do government, but yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> no, 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 no. But they, you know, they, they, yeah. they, they do, they do this paperwork stuff. You know, they have to like proceed, you know, the queen, for example, has to do the speech that she didn't write, you know, for yeah, parliament yeah. and sign and then off. she has to assent on all yeah, the acts These and all duties that. that they do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever they are. They're yeah, they're not very interested in that, but painting, exactly. gardening, oh my right. God. <laughs> Even if you are interested, in other words, I'm really interested in my business. But if you're a 20 year old coming out of school and you come up to me and you say, I'd really like to pick your brain about content marketing. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, that's an, an annoyance that I have to deal with. Maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't, depending on how busy I am. But if you say to me, you know, you mentioned on an interview that you write fiction in the mornings and you mentioned that you, you know, you really like Borges and I'm a huge Borges fan. In fact, I studied him in college. I'd love to talk to you about your favorite short stories. Hmm. Now, I don't make my living that way, but but when you ask me about my business, which I do make my living at, my cortisol levels go up because, you know, I've had people approach me like that who were really just kissing my backside so they could get something from me. I was, you know, I've learned to be on guard hmm. about that. Sure. But if you ask me about my personal interests, I'm flattered that you took the time to listen and I'm talking about something I'm interested in. I'll talk to anyone who, who, who you know, writes me about that on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, right? And this is something to, to keep in mind. Um, I guess a third, uh, there are so many, but a, a third one is something I call the milk before meat strategy. So religions use this a lot. So let's talk about Scientology, right? I, I don't know if this is just media or not, but let's just use the, uh, the, the stereotype. People say that when you're in Scientology for a really long time, and this has been documented in books like Going Clear by Lawrence Wright, who's by all intents a, a very good journalist. You learn that um, Scientologists believe that, um, you know, that our negative emotions come from aliens who lived on the lip of a volcano. Now, I'm not saying that's even a bad thing. Every religion has weird stuff. In fact, that's more believable than some of the supernatural religions. However, if you walk to someone in the street and you said, you know, um, I could really help you out. There are aliens that live on the lip of a volcano that are infesting your mind and you need to expel them. You'd be like, okay, let me call 911. There's a madman, you know, coming up to me. However, if you say to them, listen, you know, um, I'd love to tell you about some ideas. You know, there's this mountain that, that's goal oriented. You know, I, I, I can teach you a system for achieving your goals. I mean, you're a business person, right? Are you interested in learning how to achieve your goals better? Yeah, of course. Okay, wonderful. And then you give them a few tactics to help them. Wow, that's really fascinating. Oh, by the way, we're having a meeting. Why don't you come? And it doesn't look like a church. It looks like a self-help seminar and you learn three things that helped your business slowly but surely when they finally introduce the aliens on the volcano if, if that's even what they teach it doesn't seem that weird because humans are very scared of big changes we're set up to when something departs very far from what we're used to that's like giving a little baby meat they'll mm. get sick 
But if you give a baby milk and then you give them smashed up bananas and then you give them smashed up beef and then you give them solid beef, they they don't even notice it's happening. So if you have an idea that's truly groundbreaking or unusual and you try to introduce it all at once and you see people getting worked up and pushing you away, you can introduce the same idea in segments and they'll come along with you. It's just interesting that threshold you say for that. change. Yeah, it's in, very small. Interesting approach because um, I have heard it described and applied in other areas. Like, I don't know if you ever read the book, a separate piece by James I Clavell. Did, I did. Oh, I no, read that a, in a elementary separate, school. A separate piece by um, the the one about the guy who gets pushed off the, the tree or whatever. Or, or, well, a separate piece is is uh, the what sticks in my, and I read it now. I, I'm not going to tell uh, the world yeah. exactly okay. how old I am, although I am old, well over 40 years old, but this was in elementary school that I read okay. this in the fourth grade. So it's a long time ago, but I have a great memory. So I remember very clearly that it was about a school teacher who very gradually, very, very gradually got the students to go from, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance to cutting up the flag, making collages, and eventually adopting a completely uh, opposing political ideology. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 the strategy. And the right. whole strategy was it was very, very, very gradual, or as you say, you know, milk before meat. But the other application to that, like for example, in a, in a positive way, is after, you know, is is that uh, it, which proves that you know the system just can't take even good stuff to that abundant as is a shock. Is good or they, bad doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't if, matter if, yeah. if it's if it's different than what you're used to. That's all that. So matters. when they when yeah. they liberated the concentration camps after the Holocaust, and uh, there were obviously some people who were famished, who were, you know, they had undergone starvation, and the soldiers were instructed not to give them solid food immediately, oh, so that's yeah. because that would kill them. So they were instructed, why don't you just give them a little bit of soup and and, and gradually build them back up? So in, in many contexts, this sort of gradual approach is so applicable. Um, but thank you for sharing those three really uh, really cool, you know, tips, I guess, or skills or, or things that we could do. I want to say something, though. Mm -hmm. The gradual approach, this is a little bit counterintuitive. If your idea is truly groundbreaking or weird or unusual, you should use the gradual approach. Mm -hmm. If your idea is common, in other words, a lot of times we're really good at what we do and we can provide a lot of value, but there's not a huge margin of difference. So there are all these like business coaches and some of them might be yeah. fantastic at what they do. But if you did try to describe in words what's different about what they do, it, there's not that much that's different. Okay. Coaching is coaching. If that's the case, you wanna do the opposite. You wanna seem as theatrical, you know, in, in other words, use theater. I mean, look at Tony Robbins, right? You go to a Tony Robbins rally or an Amway rally. Neither of what either of those people teaches is, is it could be really useful, but it's not really groundbreaking. You know, I mean, it's all based on stuff that has existed before. They bombard yeah. you with lights, with sound, with loud music, with chanting. Another thing to do is use um, science, what they call ear candy and eye candy. Consultants do this. Yeah, yeah. The most common sense advice in the world, if you put charts and figures and neuroepinephrine and different, you know, big words, you know, suddenly 
it gives you a veneer of authority that you can't have. Now, I'm saying, not saying this stuff should be bad. What I'm saying yeah. is your grandpa could give you life-changing advice in common sense language. Mm-hmm. And you'll be like, oh, thanks, grandpa. And you, you're not going to pay him. You won't even treat him to a meal. But if someone says the same thing with charts and figures and, and large scientific technology, you'll pay them on it, yeah. you know, so it's funny. It, it's the opposite of what you what you'd expect. Mm. The more unusual and groundbreaking an idea is the more commonplace you should make see, it keep... and the least commonplace you should make it more flammable. Well, see, I, I have a rather uh, large vocabulary, so I keep I keep trying to be careful not to confuse people when I when I present or when I talk to them and potentially I shouldn't be so worried about it because... It, it depends. No, but it depends. It depends. So if you're mm-hmm. in a field... You got to be clear. That's not what I mean. Yeah. The person who does this best is Simon Sinek, right? So Simon mm. Sinek, and I write about this in the book, Simon Sinek is famous for Start With Why. And he's a clear speaker, right? I mean, he, he you, you, you got to, at, at the core, people have to understand what you're saying. That's not, but what he'll do is, his ideas are honestly not groundbreaking. I mean, he's saying start with why. First of all, that's debatable. And second of all, Okay, and it's another way of saying do what you love. You know what I mean? It's 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 not groundbreaking, but the guy makes a hundred grand to talk, and, and he's good. He helps people, right? But w- watch him. So first of all, if you see him talk, he has this kind of half British accent. He wears these <laughs> little spectacles. You would think that he was a professor of something. Yeah, the yeah, guy's yeah. never done anything besides marketing. He worked at Ogilvy and Mather before he. Yeah, yeah. I, I, see, I've re- I've gotten past that section in your right. Book, so yeah, yeah. So that's the first thing. And if you hear him, he, he did this thing about why millennials are like the worst generation, which is completely debunkable, but everyone just accepted it at face value. And I'm not calling him a con artist. His stuff is is fine, it's good. Yeah. But he always uses, you know, the dopamine gets fired in the mind and the neural pathways and the this and that. I mean, other people just be like, goddamn kids today, they don't know what it's like <laughs> to make a buck. You know what I mean? But yeah. he's like, the millennials, the neural pathways, when they were given, you know, in you know, reward systems for d- 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 and, and it's like, yeah, you know, science. And you suddenly you, yeah. it's like it's like a doctor coming in in a white coat. So this is not an argument for being unclear. It's yeah. an argument for using conspicuous signifiers of authority. Interesting. Yeah, no. So I'm glad you you clarified that because it's not it's not that I need to just, you know, run roughshod with my geeky language on people. No one will know what just, you're talking about. And just I mean, let, you know, let, yeah, the, let the, right. you know, $100 words go. I still need to be clear with them. It's just that I, I shouldn't shy away from selecting maybe a few of those to 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 surround things and give it an air of authority. But, but, but again, not, I mean, you don't have to say, you know, you don't have to use a $10 word when a $1 word will do. But if you can back up what you're saying with some kind of obscure research that could or could not be used, hmm. people will give credence to it rather than if you just said it outright. Yeah, no, I, I understand. Show that, a but... chart, show a figure, show a, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah, and those are those are easy to come by because uh, you know I've got those associations right. that send me all those charts every every right. month. So I I could borrow those and start using those and say, well, the Institute of Leadership and Management, a hundred percent, this that yeah. and that, you know, quoted and cited and this that and the other thing. Cortisol I, I tend- is that cortisol is activated yeah. in your system, which makes people less likely to buy from you. You notice I said that a few minutes ago, right? I mean that mm. that that gives me that makes and now it's true, but it makes me sound like an expert. 
yeah, which is what I was going for. A bit of a scientist, right? So, right. so now that we've talked about uh, a few more of these techniques that, that you, you've, you've taught us, how has leveraging these you know, proven strategies affected your earning capacity? Let's, in other words, have you used these? Well, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, that's what I do for a living. So I, I, um, I was talking about that corporate job I have mm -hmm. and how I was scared to leave. And I, I had that idea that I was going to be a uh, corporate copywriter um, or, or a marketing copywriter. And because I was a good writer and because I had some business knowledge, or I shouldn't say business knowledge, industry knowledge, I figured I would just leave my job. This was like 10 years ago. I figured I would just leave my job and start you know, making money. And I, I mm -hmm. had a year's worth of savings and I almost went broke. I mean, I couldn't sell. I didn't know how to sell uh, or really market for that matter, because I, I, you know, people who hired me would rehire me, but I, I just couldn't get a yeah, steady yeah. flow of, of leads. So um, what happened was I, 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 I thought back at a certain point. I was, I was, um, it was actually funny. I, I, I walked by the old club that we used to play at just randomly. The neighborhood changed a lot. So I was having a meeting with a friend of mine who was a consultant in the Lower East Side. It's all like bankers and lawyers now. But back when I was playing in bands, it was like the where all the rock and roll stuff was happening. And so I walked by that old club and I, I remembered how we used to sell it out all the time, like on a Wednesday night. And we would do it by hyping stuff up. We never used the word marketing, but we would do things like, um, like for example, we got our, we talked our way onto Showtime at the Apollo because we knew we would be booed off, you know? And then we got all kinds of press around that. So we would do things like that all the time. And, and we were really, really, and I particularly was really good at it. And I was like, why am I so bad at marketing now? And it was because I had become corporate. I was, I was, I was studying A-B testing and sales funnels and this and that. And I forgot that at the core, attracting attention and getting people emotional is about really deep psychological stuff. It's about benevolent mischief, you know? So I said, you know what? I'm gonna change my approach. I mean, I, I'm gonna try to use this. And I did. And it worked like a charm. I mean, I started doing kind of benevolently mischievous stuff and, and taking on that puckish sort of role. And I started doing really well with the, the writing business and then it turned into an agency. So um, what I do is I, I, you know, I'm a big reader, but I'm not, everyone's a big reader now. That's like a big fad. And I think that's a great fad, but, but at the same time, it's like everyone reads the same kind of business books. And I think they're worth reading, but like, I also think there's a lot of other great stuff out there. So I'll, I'll read these obscure books on like crowd psychology or like brainwashing, or I'll read, you know, biographies of these really unusual counterintuitive people. And then I'll conduct experiments. And my rules are it has to be ethical and make people's lives better. You know what I mean? And, and there can't be deception involved. Yeah. And um, if I hit those two rules, I'll do these little experiments. And if they fail, I'll discard them. But if they succeed, not only do they become part of the package that that we use for our clients and for ourselves, they become one of the strategies I teach, you know, in the book mm -hmm. and in workshops. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 all the money I've made in the last decade has to do with <laughs> this stuff. Yeah, that's cool. And now you're passing it forward with this remarkable yeah. book, The Height Handbook, so that we can all take advantage of that in an ethical way, please. I mean, it's only a request. We can't police it. You can obviously use it to con people and, and create the, a create nastiness. But... What I should say, the reason I feel comfortable putting this book out there and yeah. knowing it'll be used ethically is because, frankly, the bad guys already get it. That's so, true. 
they, they've done experiments on people with antisocial personality disorder. And that's this basket of disorders that includes like malignant narcissism and psychopathy and sociopathy, right? Mm-hmm. And they've put them in laboratory conditions where they're in stressful, like social um, situations. Yeah. And they measure their vital signs and their heart rates don't go up. Like most people, when we're in stressful social situations, we get our pulse rate goes yeah, up. Palpitates, you know, yeah. You know, they don't have that. So basically, it's not so much that these strategies are bad. In fact, it's not at all. It's that people who have ant- who are antisocial don't let their emotions get in the way. They, they can see people as as chess pieces so it's again it's they'll say you know if i if i do x y and z i'm going to get this from someone they can just do it so the the worst Hmm. people in the world almost always are good at manipulating people but they're also always good they're they're good at, at at interpersonally you know moving people and getting them to do what they want them to do that doesn't mean the strategies are bad quite the contrary they're just the way we, we rec- the problem is that the rest of us, because we don't like those kinds of people and don't want to be like them, and because we get emotional in interpersonal mm-hmm. situations, we veer away and then we tell ourselves lies like, well, as long as my work is good, it'll rise to the top yeah. and get noticed. And it's not true. We just want to believe it. And the other so, thing is we get yeah, so duped I'm not worried. We get duped. So I'm not worried. I don't think the people that, I, I think the people who need this book are going to learn it and they're not going to use it for evil because they have yeah. too much empathy for that. Exactly. And and uh, the people who, you know, don't need it, it's this this is a handbook for the rest of us. It's that's, not for the it it's not is. for the two percent psychos that, that Hannibal Lecters that can, you know, carve you open without having even a heartbeat, you know, pal. Be, be, you know. Beyond Hannibal Lecters, I mean I, I think I can name a few internet gurus who they're not killing people, but I would say that they're selling useless products and have a have a clan around them. Oh yeah, I, I can and, name quite a few of those. And I would expect, just from the way they talk, I'm not a psychologist, that they have narcissistic personality sure. disorder. Have you ever read the book, The Sociopath Next Door? I've heard about it. I've never read it. I heard it's, it's fascinating. Since you're a reader, yeah. you might enjoy that because that, yeah. that really corroborates everything you're saying in that, in that, especially what you just said, which is like, they're not the people that, you know, the, the people you're talking about, probably similar ones to who I'm thinking of. They're not the kind of person you think, oh my God, it's Hannibal Lecter. You yeah, know, exactly. I'll have his dinner with a nice Chianti. <laughs> you know, they're not like that. You know, they're, they're really charming, cute. They've got a massive following, much bigger than my own. And, and they don't and, kill, they don't you know, harm people on a deep level. They just don't. They take money. They, they take advantage yeah. of people. They take advantage. They take money yeah. and they don't deliver, you know, something remarkable. They deliver yeah. something that people, I guess, kind of like or whatever, but they're not they're not delivering the transformative promises that that money should be earning them. So anyway, what was the um, so we talked about more strategies and reasons behind them in the book. So what's the best strategy you ever learned and what impact did it have on your business? It's not a function of the best because they all interlock. I would say that mm. there's one that the rest depend on. It's that make war not love thing about the, the drawing lines in the sands and picking. Okay. I mean, if, if you don't have a strong point of view, if you can't say this is what in my world I stand against, almost none of the rest of it works because you'll be generating energy around nothing, right? So like 
In other mm-hmm. words, what I would do, and I tell my clients this, the first thing you should ask yourself is what is a point of view commonly held in your corner of the universe, whether that's your industry, your scene, whatever, like that, that all of your contemporaries seem to believe very strongly that you secretly think is bunk. Because if you can go out with that, that suddenly makes you a guru. So I'll give you an example. So the first thing I did that when I, the thing that I did, that hype tactic that I accidentally did that started building up my career and led to everything else. I mean, I tell this story all the time, but it's, it's, it's a really good illustration of this. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk, who I think is a really good business person and I have nothing against, especially Wine Library. I thought that was actually a really strong value adding kind of business. But when he became an internet guru, He's, I heard him constantly going around with this advice to hustle, hustle, hustle. So, and, and constantly like telling people who already worked hard, screaming at them that they needed to tweet from the toilet at three in the morning, that they needed to, in their twenties, not have a girlfriend, not have a life, you know, just like work and you know this. And I was like, not only do I think that's a terrible way to live, but let's put that aside. I don't believe it because I see, first of all, the guy's got 300 people working for him. So he doesn't do all the tweeting, but even if he did, what if you're, you know, his company sold wine at one point. What if you're making the wine? Should you be on social media 24 hours a day or should you be paying attention to how, uh, to finding the right grapes, right? So I didn't believe it, but you would see all these young people and no one disagreed with it. Gary V, hustle, I'm a hustler, da, 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 da. So I was writing for Inc. at the time, Inc. Magazine, and I wrote an article, which I was scared to write, called Why Gary Vaynerchuk is Flat Out Wrong. And I was very respectful. I mean, I didn't say, I said he's a great, all the things I'm saying now, I I, I wasn't a troll. Because I do, I think he's smart as can be, smart as a whip. And I don't think he's one of these people who doesn't deliver value. I think he does. But I think his advice that all of these people were virulently following was bad advice. And and what I said was, if you want to, this guy is such a good self-promoter that if you want to be successful, don't listen to his advice, follow what he does. Because when you get people to work really hard on behalf of your cause, it binds them to you. So I said that publicly. That night, he responded to me personally, and I was a nobody. And he responded to me by video and just chewed me a new one, you know? And um, then all his followers started calling me on Twitter, lazy and idiot and this and that. And I was like, what did I do? I ruined my career. But by the next day, I had all these new followers and they it turned out that there were all of these scattered people who felt the way I did, but there was no organizing principle. There was no leader. And now by me saying something, it was like the emperor's got no clothes. It was like, wow. I thought that too. We got to follow this guy. So if you can draw a line in the sand and stand against the common view in your corner of the world, you'll be amazed. If you really believe it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll be amazed by how many people will call And when I think about it, it's, it's, I, I was about to say, and it's, you know, it's, it should be something that is, uh, you know, moral and ethical. It should be something in general good, but. I thought that was really ethical. I mean, I thought, he, it, it, I yeah, thought totally, his advice but, uh, was harmful. I mean, I, yeah. I agree. But what I mean was that, it, what I was going to say was that, I've actually noticed that there's some really out there ones that I wouldn't particularly consider moral or ethical, and yet 
they have amassed a little following around well, what them, do you what do you think like-minded I mean, people so there's that politician i forget down south who's like an outspoken you know for child uh you know uh consent and pedophilia and all that but in in the sense of there's a politician he, who believes it. yeah in in the south somewhere i forget where exactly is all i remember he's got blonde hair and this and he's a he's, he's really out there then because he really is wow so some of the stuff i would consider you know jail bait you know like go to jail for say even thinking that <laughs> but he's got a relatively small thank goodness relatively small following of people who agree with uh, with that kind of well, well the stuff. internet amplifies it right so when I, I heard bill burr the comedian talking about this but it's so true i mean when mm -hmm. we were kids the earth was round right i mean that that was the, the earth everyone believed that and, and it's, except for a few kooks who printed out like a well even the flat earthers say butter. it's uh right there was the this little group of flat earthers who my science teacher showed us their photocopied stapled newsletter that about 19 people subscribed to <laughs> that believed in this idiotic thing now because of the internet and because the new york times and the flat earth society website can be designed to look just as beautiful from one another every tribe is taken seriously so there are these people who have these cockamamie and i'm going to just call this cockamamie because it's ridiculous these cockamamie arguments hmm. that the earth is flat and because of the internet the virulence through which these contrarian points of view gain die hard followers and they can raise money i mean all oh, this yeah. crazy stuff it just it's a lesson you know don't do it don't s spread garbage like that but like use just observe you know yeah. that's human irrationality at work and every single one of us is irrational to a degree yeah for, for sure yeah we, everyone we're, we're no. not we're not all vulcans you know <laughs> even they even they weren't perfectly rational <laughs> we all have the capacity for reason that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is our brains are wired to view the world through the senses and through the way our brains are set up which is how evolution programmed us to spread our genes and survive so we we have mental shortcuts that allow us to move more quickly we have um biases that allow us to bond with a group at the expense of the truth and if you think you're an exception to this you're at the most danger for being taken in because you don't think oh i'm the, i'm rational you know mm, i can't yeah. be fooled by this the easiest people to you've con, got a blind spot yeah yeah that's what i mean it's it's it, it's the, the you know it, it's if you look at the people who get taken by con artists it, ha it tends to be the people who think they're too smart for their own good. Oh, I know. I, I, I've got yeah. many, many friends like that who, who have, you know, genius level IQs. They're they're just they're they're really, really super intelligent people. And they have been taken in by con artists because of, of them because being of their self-regard, because of their self-regard, because yeah. they think they that think they're, they're so rational, rational. Yeah. That, that that they if they assess something as 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 true then it must yeah. be true and it's dangerous because then they condemn people who don't agree with them because they they must be ignorant in some way they must they must have nescience you know and ignorance in in some way yeah. because of their own erudition erudition see they're, they're throwing out the no, big that's a good word definitely. but uh, but the thing is is that is that that is exactly what you're saying is that they have that complete blind spot and yet when i'm looking at 
at it, I say, man, you were just taken in hook, line, and sinker by that lying, conning politician. And you're now defending this position incredibly well because you assume that you're right. And I I never assume I'm right, actually. That's kind of my chance. Yeah, to get nerdy for a second, I mean, mm. look at Socrates, right? His whole thing, if you actually read, like, Plato writing from from, Oh, Socrates, I did read the complete works back in university, yeah. I didn't read the complete works, but I've read some things. And if you look at it, it wasn't what I expected. I read it as an adult, you know? And it was, uh, like, a middle-aged adult. And, and, and it was like, he doesn't know anything. And he knows mm. that he doesn't know. He goes around telling people, like, you know, hey, you know, um, and it's actually annoying. Because someone will say something like, well, I'm a virtuous person. Say, well, what is this virtue? Because I, I don't know what virtue is. I, 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 in life, mm-hmm. because I'm kind of a silly guy. Like, you know, tell me, and they'll be like, well, it's about doing the right thing. Well, could you tell me what right means? Because I, I, I've struggled with it. I don't know what right <laughs> means. And by the time you're done, he's like, you know what is means? It's like Bill Clinton. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> and it's annoying. But like, he's right. I mean, he's the greatest thinker. He's the, he's the cradle of Western thought, this guy. And his whole teaching was like, I don't know anything you know yeah. yeah his whole his whole thing was really really funny i, I remember that it's kind of an amusing yeah. point and then you yeah. wonder and then you wonder what, what did that help his demise because yeah ostensibly no he question was, he was Not hemlocked he was hemlocked yeah. because of, of, of you know contrarian ideas but i think also that sort of an annoying uh, demeanor probably help them say let's just get rid of this one there's actually a play there's a play called the clouds which is is a comedy aristophanes where it's all making fun of socrates and it shows how he was perceived it's about like yeah he was really i know that one but yeah i i think though that to get out of the weeds for a minute I think real questioning threatens these people. So I don't know how you feel about Tony Robbins, and it's almost irrelevant, but he's a uh, he's a professional guru, you know? I mean, he, he, he makes money by getting people into a heightened state and getting them to think he's larger than life. Mm-hmm. So it was really telling that Me Too movement, not because of the Me Too stuff. Do you know what I'm referring to? So this woman got up. <laughs> and said to her, he questioned, because he gives all this relationship advice with why is he giving relationships? Because he knows about everything. He's like a god. He knows from relationships to money, to engineering, to, you know, the guy knows everything about everything, which I, he always strikes me as a little weird. So this woman called him out and said, you know, listen, you know, um, I forget what she said, but basically questioned him. And he gave one of his stock answers and she questioned him again and questioned him. And he, was like pushing her down the aisle. He was so agitated that she didn't just accept his line and and prostrate herself before him, you know? And because we're in this Me Too moment, it bit him in the backside, but let's put that aside. When the great man and the powers that be have the little kids saying, you know, I'm not sure you're wearing any clothing. No, no, really, (laughs) I don't think you're wearing clothing. No, no, actually, those aren't invisible clothing, you're naked. People in power don't like that. No, they don't. They don't. This this whole speak truth to power, I've learned the hard way. They hate that. They they do not like speak truth to power. They they like to be in their in their circle of fiction that they've created, that the the illusion that they've created, uh, no matter how divergent it is from reality. It could be only a little bit, but they, they don't like any kind of questioning of uh, you know, here, take a look, take a look, take a look. No, mm-mm. they don't like that at all. But if you and, can avoid losing your head. 
that's a really great way to amass power of, of your oh own. yeah for sure for sure I, I did that once on a very small scale when i was in journalism school at medill in, in chicago and i was being uh being um uh, a recalcitrant student i did not like the inverted pyramid i did not like oh, really? sort of very forced writing yeah. style where it was just like i also did not like being assigned what to look for i'm like i thought i was going to go out and find out what like the truth is what is the reality not being told what to so anyway so i, I was no good at it that's eventually why i switched out of that school right. but i was at one point taken out into the hallway and screamed at by professor bob mcclory the late bob mcclory who was he was a, a wonderful kind man he was a he was an ex-priest in the catholic church who left because he fell in love with a nun and they oh, got really? married and lived happily ever after like martin luther yeah, so it was just, he's a nice guy, always wore sweaters. He was like sand, shaved Santa, you know, with white hair and <laughs> bright blue eyes. And, you know, so it was, a, but he took me out in the hallway of that building and just screamed at me and his face turned tomato red. And one of the reasons that he kept getting irritated was because I was not getting agitated at all because I actually did not care. I said, look, I'll just transfer out of this stupid major if, if this is what I have to do. And so he just, but he just got so angry. And, and he, at one point he looked at me and he's like, you're so unflappable, but he was like red and screaming. I'm sure people started looking from other classrooms thinking, is everything okay in here? And that's the thing that's he didn't know is I just, I just was like calm, cool and collected. Just looking, I'm saying, okay, my writing sucks. Okay. Yeah. The grant. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> didn't you bother know, me. We're lucky to be in, in a country, at least for now, where, um, well, I'm in the United States and England is the same, at least for now where you can take a bold stand and and not get killed for it. So, you know, there's a time and a place. I mean, if you're taking bold stands in an oppressive state, obviously that's that takes a lot more courage. But you know, yeah, I mean if it's if you really wanted to stay in that program, that may not have been the best thing to do, right? But but if if you're a hype artist or a marketer, like if I had worked for Gary Vaynerchuk and did that article publicly, I would have gotten fired or if I depended on him in some way or needed to hire him for a conference, but I didn't have much to lose. And if you can find the video of his response to me, it's very funny because in the beginning he was very coherent, but by the end he was basically talking about how successful he was, how much money he had. He was really incoherent. He was, he was kind of sweating. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because he's really not used to being questioned in that way you know and the good news was i have nothing to be scared of because there's enough market share to go around so all of gary vaynerchuk's fans may have hated me and they did but who cares there's millions of people and if i get half of half of one percent of them to be diehard followers of me i'm still not as big as vaynerchuk is you know but I have a really, really, really good career because yeah, and you might not need or want you know, that. You know, right? So, so none of these are blanket statements. You need to use. You don't. You you know. You you wouldn't use a butter knife to to cut open. You know, a box, but it's really good for spreading butter. Like they're all. They they all need their. I don't know what that analogy was, but I've tried it. You're yeah. right. It's not yeah. ideal for cutting a right. box open. But, but you know, a pointy knife isn't good for spreading butter. So, I mean, you, you, you got to be, context is everything. 
context is everything. Great. So what so what single strategy are you best known for? Let's say in, in microfame media, because we've we've talked a lot about the book, strategies for us to use. What about you? What what are you best known for? I mean, right now I'm known, I guess, for hype, for that word, for the bucket of 12 strategies. I mean, for a long time I was known as that that picking the fight with Gary Vaynerchuk guy. And then I went on to pick a fight with Simon Sinek, to pick a fight with Tony Robbins. Like I'm very proud, Tony Robbins, some um, PR people called uh Forbes to complain about me uh and I got a letter uh, an email from Forbes but it turned out everything in my article totally checked out so there was nothing that they could do and he's like notoriously litigious you know so I kind of became this taker downer of like gurus which which I got known for um the legend killer <laughs> yeah people really love the milk before meat um concept I, I'm known for that but I, I think I'm, I'm really happy because I think especially with the release of the book the interplay of the strategies has, has just sort of, I've kind of become known as the hype man. I'm like the new Flava Flav, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's, which yeah. is which is totally cool. Yeah, I just, just need to get a big clock, a clock a around bit my of neck. A big, big clock, maybe get a yeah. red jacket or something, yeah. you know, and all yeah. that. So so how about your number one best strategy for 2021, 22, as we go in and start easing up into the one pandemic, going into another one, as the aliens start to invade us and reveal that they are the ones who came up with the RNA technology to save us from coronavirus yeah. and to potentially cure cancer. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So, so what? What about your your thing that you're implementing? What are you doing now? What are you working yeah, on? I, I'm well. In terms of strategies, I'm I'm mm -hmm. really working on. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm working on. I mean, I'm going out and teaching these concepts now that I can speak again. I'm really focused beyond the agency work on really spreading this message. I I do think it's important for, you know, I, I was really blown away by how many people lately have been conned by really bad ideas, and I'll just come out and say it. Our capital was stormed by people from our own country and people are so scared by the charismatic leader at the center that they're pretending it didn't happen. Like that bothers me a lot. And that's done through hype. So I think it's really important for me to go around and speak to and give workshops so that people, whether they're in large companies trying to make a change or small companies or causes or whatever, that those people can be armed to, to, to further and bring attention to good stuff, valuable right, yeah. stuff. So I'm, I, I want to get, you know, I'm starting to get back on the speaking circuit and want to do more of that and working hard on that uh, workshop. In terms of strategies for me, something I'm working on, it's, it's, um, there's a strategy in the book called, uh, well, it's, it's packaging. I mean, it's, it's, um, there was a, a quote by the foremost experts of propaganda, uh, Pratkanis and, and, um, errands and they say the essence of propaganda is a well-designed package so we think of packaging as um you know packaging like like our logo or our wrapping paper or whatever mm -hmm. but really what packaging means is that you figure out what you are and what you stand for and you almost create a cartoon version of yourself like you don't leave the house you don't have one piece of thing out there mm. that doesn't reflect that like andy warhol never didn't have his white wig he never spoke incomplete sentences when he went out of the house maybe to his closest friends his factory you know was covered in tin foil and aluminum foil everything about him was he used to say to his closest friends Sometimes I just really love getting home and taking off my Andy Warhol suit because he knew he knew you couldn't just show up to art openings dressed like Warhol and then be seen getting kitty litter 
Um, you know, which is funny that, you know, Glenn Danzig, who, who was the singer of the Misfits and Danzig, this Prince of Darkness guy, there's this picture that just went viral because he's coming out of a store holding kitty litter. That's why I thought yeah. of that. And it was and so incongruous. And to be fair, know? I've seen Marilyn Manson out of makeup. <laughs> Yeah, not a pretty sight. And yeah. that was weird. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But but it's beyond that. It's kind of like 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 I look at you, right? Like I don't know what you're like in your in your daily life, and it's not just about clothing. But you wear a tie even when we're on a video thing, you know, where you a smoking jacket, and 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 it's it's creating this image of yourself. So so like I want to get what I want to work on is becoming the hype man in everything I do, right? And I've not been as good at that as, as I should be, right? Like the, my, my background here, I have these horror comics in the background, but what I really should have is pictures of all the hype artists I admire. I shouldn't be wearing this shirt right now. I should, you know, um, everything about my presentation should be the equivalent of Andy Warhol's mm -hmm. silver wig. And um, I think with the pandemic, I've let that slip a little. And I, I, I really want to. Um, well, I think down, a lot of so, people, a yeah. lot of people have let that slip uh, during yeah. the pandemic. And, and, and I, I'm not always in a, in a time. Sometimes, like if I, if I do a live video, like if, I, if I'll go on Facebook or Instagram, like I just whatever I, I happen to be wearing, I don't I don't go to any trouble. And um, but again, you know, it's not all about clothes. It's about all of it. Like it's, it's about the whole Andy yeah. Warhol give soundbite answers all the time. I mean, you know, or, or Alfred Hitchcock, you could draw the little thing of you him could. and you knew exactly who it <laughs> yeah. is, right? I he mean, knew he, who it is, he yeah. was Alfred Hitchcock. And I and I am not uh, necessarily, a, a, yeah. you know, an expert at this as you are. So there's there's things I'm working on now as I'm reading the book and, and, and getting stuff out of it. So I'll be I'll be making tweaks and modifications there without compromising, you know, my identity and who I am. I'll be but th this is uh, my weakest I'll, one. Honestly, yeah. this is my weakest mm -hmm. one. I, 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 I have um, there have been periods in my life where I've been great at it. But you asked what I'm going to, you know, do going yeah. forward. This is my my hype. This is the project, thing, yeah. you know, going forward, especially if I'm going to speaking and yeah. presenting myself as a public figure in that way you know and i have a couple a couple suggestions uh when we're when we're done that uh, might be useful to put you together with some people i know so l let's finish off by uh how do we learn more about your proven process in other words i think the best thing for people to do is to go buy a copy of this book yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly the best thing okay um so where, can, where can they get it where's the best place for them to get it amazon bookshops yeah you know um Certainly Amazon is Amazon, right? I mean, you type the hype handbook in, the book comes to your door in a few days. And, and that's just the easiest way to do it, especially in a pandemic. Um, not every bookstore is carrying everything, although a lot of them are carrying this. But, you know, I'm a big supporter of bookstores. So if, if, if your bookstore does carry it, mm. certainly buy it. And if not, order it, you know? But um, selfishly however that thing gets in your hand um a yeah. it'll help you know we we write things it's worth it it's we it's write things for it. it to be written so yeah it'd be it'd be awesome it's definitely yeah. worth it it's why you're here it's why i invited you here because i first was one of your readers i was first a fan and then and then i and then i thought to reach out to you what's the worst that could happen you you ignore or say no and that's cool but luckily <laughs> you didn't and so yeah. here we are so that is uh that's amazing so well, I i'm an wanted... admirer of you i looked into your stuff and it was so compelling I 
I wouldn't have said yes to everybody. So Oh, well, yeah. that's that's quite an honor. So thank you yeah. so much for that. And also, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you for sharing your, your wisdom, your experience, your stories and you. uh, of yourself and your energy. So thank you so much. This has been Justin for Justin Answer. Uh, we are cultural creatives fulfilling our human potential. So don't forget to pick up your copy of the Hype Handbook so that you can protect yourself from these techniques, but also so that you can leverage and use them to further your own life, your career, whatever it is in an honest and ethical way. 